0: section 1 of self and self management this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by ruth golding self and self management essays about existing by arnold bennett running away from life 1 I will take the extreme case of the social butterfly, because it has the great advantage of simplicity. This favourite variety of the lepidopteral insects is always spoken of as female, but as the variety persists from generation to generation, obviously it cannot be of one sex only, and as a fact there are indubitably male social butterflies, though the differences between the male and the female may be slight i shall however confine myself to the case of the female social butterfly again for the sake of simplicity this beautiful creature combines the habits of the butterfly with the habits of the moth for whereas the moth flies only by night and the butterfly flies only by day the social butterfly flies both by day and by night she is universally despised and condemned and almost universally envied one of the strangest among the many strange facts of natural history she lives with a single purpose to be forever in the movement not any particular movement but the movement which is a grand combined tendency comprising all lesser tendencies for the social butterfly The constituents of the movement are chiefly men, theatres, restaurants, dances, noise and hurry. The minor constituents may and do frequently change, but the major constituents have not changed for a considerable number of years. The minor constituents of the movement are usually serious, and hence, in a minor way, the social butterfly is serious. If books happen to be of the movement she will learn the names of books and authors and in urgent crises will even read if music she will learn to distinguish from all other sounds the sounds which are of the movement the sounds at which she must shut her eyes in ecstasy and sigh if social reform she will at once be ready to reform everybody and everything except herself and her existence if charity or mercifulness she will be charitable or merciful according to the latest devices and in the latest frocks yes and if war happens to be of the movement she will be serious about the war you observe how sarcastic i am about the social butterfly it is necessary to be so the social butterfly never has since the earliest times been mentioned in print without sarcasm or pity and she never will be she is greatly to be pitied what is her aim her aim like the aim of most people except the very poor whose aim is simply to keep alive is happiness but the unfortunate creature as you and i can so clearly see has confused happiness with pleasure she runs day and night after pleasure that is to say after distraction eating drinking posing seeing being seen laughing jostling and the singular delight of continual imitation she is only alive in public AND THE WHOLE OF HER DAYS AND NIGHTS ARE SPENT IN BEING IN PUBLIC, OR IN PREPARING TO BE IN PUBLIC, OR IN RECOVERING FROM THE EFFECTS OF BEING IN PUBLIC. HABIT DRIVES HER ON FROM ONE EXCITEMENT TO ANOTHER. SHE FLIES ETERNALLY FROM SOMETHING MYSTERIOUS AND SINISTER WHICH IS ETERNALLY OVERTAKING HER. YOU AND I KNOW THAT SHE IS NEVER HAPPY. She is only intoxicated or narcotized by a drug that she calls pleasure. And her youth is going, her figure is going, her complexion is practically gone. She is laying up naught for the future save disappointment, dissatisfaction, disillusion and, no doubt, rheumatism. And all this inordinate, incredible folly springs from a wrong and childish interpretation of the true significance of happiness two how much wiser you say and indeed we all say is that other young woman who has chosen the part of content she has come to terms with the universe she is not forever gadding about in search of something which she has not got and which not one person in a hundred round about her has got she has said the universe is stronger than i am i will accommodate myself to the universe and she acts accordingly she makes the best of her lot she treats her body in a sane manner and she treats her mind in a sane manner she has perceived the futility of what is known as pleasure in circles where they play bridge and organized charity fates on the field of the cloth of gold. She has frankly admitted that use is fleeting, and that part of it must be spent in making preparations against the rigors of old age. She seeks her pleasure in literature and the arts, because such pleasure strengthens instead of weakening the mind, and never pause. She is prudent. She is aware that there can be no happiness where duty has been left undone and that loving-kindness is a main source of felicity. Hence she is attentive to duty, and she practices the altruism which is at once the cause and the result of loving-kindness. She deliberately cultivates cheerfulness and resignation. She discourages discontent as gardeners discourage a weed. She has duly noted that the kingdom of heaven is within you, not near the band at the expensive restaurant nor in the trying-on room of the fashionable dressmakers next door to the expensive restaurant nor in the salons of the well-advertised great her life is reflected in her face which is a much better face than the face of the social butterfly whatever may occur within reason she is armed against destiny married or single three what can there be in common between these two types well the point i'm coming to is that they may have one tragic similarity which vitiates their lives equally or almost equally one may be vastly more admirable than the other and in many matters vastly more sensible and yet they may both have made the same stupendous mistake THE MISINTERPRETATION OF THE SIGNIFICANCE OF THE WORD HAPPINESS. Towards the close of existence, and even throughout existence, the second, in spite of all her precautions, may suffer the secret and hidden pangs of unhappiness just as acutely as the first, and her career may in the end present itself to her as just as much a sham, and for the same reason. The social butterfly was running after something absurd and the other woman knew that it was absurd and left it alone But the root of the matter was more profound The social butterfly's chief error was not that she was running after something But that she was running away from something something which I have described as mysterious and sinister and The other woman also may be and as a fact frequently is running away from just that mysterious and sinister something and that something is neither more nor less than life itself in its every essence both may be afraid of life and may have to pay an equal price for their cowardice both may have refused to listen to the voice within them and will suffer equally for the wilful shutting of the ear it is true that the other woman may just possibly have a true vocation for a career of resignation and altruism and the spreading of a sort of content in a thin layer over the entire length of existence if so well and good but it is also true that the social butterfly may have a true vocation for being a social butterfly and the thick squandering of a sort of pleasure on the earlier part of existence to the deprivation of the latter part then neither the one nor the other will have been guilty of the cowardice of running away from life my point is that you may take refuge in good works or you may take refuge in bad works but that the supreme offence against life lies in taking refuge from it and that if you commit this offence you will miss the only authentic happiness which springs no more from content and resignation than it springs from mere pleasure it is indisputable that the conscience can be and is constantly narcotized as much by relatively good deeds as by relatively bad deeds nevertheless to dope the conscience is always a crime and is always punished by the ultimate waking up of the conscience four to take refuge from life is to refuse it life generally offers due scope for the leading instinct in a man or a woman and sometimes it offers the scope at a very low price, at no price at all. For example, a young man may have a very marked instinct for engineering, and his father may be a celebrated and wealthy engineer who is only too anxious that the son should follow the same profession. Life has offered the scope and charged nothing for it. But on the other hand... A man may have a very marked instinct for authorship, and his father may be a celebrated and wealthy engineer who, being convinced that literature is an absurd and despicable profession, has determined that his son shall not be an author but an engineer. Become an engineer, says the father, and I will give you unique help, and you are a made man. Become an author, and you get nothing whatever from me except opposition." life however which has provided the instinct for literature has also provided the scope for its fulfillment the scope for young authors is vaster today on two continents than ever it was but the price which in this case life quotes is very high the young man hesitates the price quoted includes comfort parental approval domestic peace money luxury and perhaps also a comfortable and not unsatisfactory marriage it includes practically all the ingredients of the mixture commonly known as happiness of course by following literature the young man may recover all and more than all the price paid but also he may not the chances are about a hundred to one that he will not he is risking nearly everything in order to buy a ticket in a lottery. Let us say that being a prudent and obedient young fellow, he declines to beggar himself for a ticket in a lottery. His instinct towards literature has not developed very far. He sacrifices it and becomes the engineer by industry and good-will and native brains he becomes a very fair engineer the prop of the firm the aide and in due course the successor of his father he treats his work-people well he marries a delightful girl and he even treats her well he has delightful children he is a terrific worldly success and a model to his fellow-creatures that man's attention to duty his altruism his real kindness are the theme of conversation among all his friends he treats his conscience with the most extraordinary respect and yet if his instinct towards literature was genuine he is not fundamentally happy and when he chances to meet an author or to read about authors even about their suicides of despair or to be deeply impressed by a book he is acutely aware that he has committed the sin of taking refuge from life he knows that the extraordinary respect which he pays to his conscience is at bottom a doping of that organ he perceives that the smooth path is in fact the rough path and that the rough path which he dared not face might have been with all its asperities the smooth one his existence is a vast secret and poisonous regret and there is nothing whatever to be done there is no antidote for the poison the dope is a drug and insufficient at that Five women even in these latter days when reason is supposed to have got human nature by the neck have far greater opportunities and temptations than men to run away from life indeed many of them are taught and encouraged to do so the practice of the three ancient cardinal female virtues shutting your eyes stopping your ears and burying your head in the sand is very carefully inculcated And then, of course, people turn round on young women and upbraid them because they are afraid of existence. And though things are changing, they have not yet definitely changed. I would not blame a whole sex, no matter which, for anything whatever, but to state a fact is not to blame. The fact is that women, when they get a chance, do show a tendency to shirk life. Large numbers of them come to grips with life simply because they are compelled to do so. A woman whose material existence is well assured will not as a rule go out into the world. Further, she will not marry as willingly as the woman who needs a home and cannot see the prospect of it except through marriage. By which I mean to imply that with women the achievement of marriage is due less to the instinct to mate than to an economic instinct men are wicked animals and know not righteousness but it may be said of them generally that with them the achievement of marriage is due to the instinct to mate examining the cases of certain women who put off marrying I have been forced to the conclusion that their only reason for hesitating to marry is that men are not perfect, and that to marry an imperfect man involves risk. It does, but the reason is not valid. Risk is the very essence of life, and the total absence of danger is equal to death. I do not say that to follow an unsatisfactory vocation and to fail in it is better than to follow no vocation but i am inclined to say that any marriage is better than no marriage for both sexes and i think that the most tragic spectacle on earth is an old woman metaphorically wrapped in cotton wool who at some period of her career has refused life because of the peril of inconvenience and unhappiness both men and women can run away from life in ways far more subtle and less drastic than those which i have named for the sake of clearness i have confined myself to rather crude and obvious examples of flight there are probably few of us who are not conscious of having declined at least some minor challenge of existence And there are still fewer of us who can charge ourselves with having been consistently too bold in our desire to get the full savour of existence. 6. Each individual must define happiness for himself or herself. For my part, I rule out practically all the dictionary definitions. In most dictionaries you will find that the principal meaning attached to the word is good fortune or prosperity, which is notoriously absurd. Then come such definitions as, quote, a state of well-being characterised by relative permanence, by dominantly agreeable emotion, and by a natural desire for its continuation, End quote. This last is from Webster, and it is very clever. Yet I will have none of it unless I am allowed to define the word well-being in my own way. For me, an individual cannot be in a state of well-being if any of his faculties are permanently idle through any fault of his own. The full utilisation of all the faculties seems to me to be the foundation of well-being but i doubt if a full utilisation of all the faculties necessarily involves the idea of good fortune or prosperity or tranquillity or contentedness with one's lot or even a dominantly agreeable emotion very often it rather involves the contrary in my view happiness includes chiefly the idea of satisfaction after full honest effort everybody is guilty of mistakes and of serious mistakes and the contemplation of these mistakes must darken be it ever so little the last years of existence but it need not be fatal to a general satisfaction men and women may in the end be forced to admit i made a fool of myself and still be fairly happy But no one can possibly be satisfied, and therefore no one can in my sense be happy, who feels that in some paramount affair he has failed to take up the challenge of life. For a voice within him, which none else can hear but which he cannot choke, will constantly be murmuring, You lacked courage. You hadn't the pluck. You ran away and it is happier to be unhappy in the ordinary sense all one's life than to have to listen at the end to that dreadful interior verdict end of section one